Well, Dak, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. Welcome into the Victory Bells podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. Oh, big golfs, huh? All right. On Red Raider Sports Radio. Well, see you later. And now, here's Will. Great cash, homie. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into this edition of the Victory Bells Recruit Cast. I'm Will McKay, and as always, joined by my main man, Matt Clare. What is going on, uh, Matthew? Hey, what's up, Will? Doing good, man. Excited to uh, excited to get back to action this weekend on the football field for uh, for Tech. Exclusive football being to be played this weekend. Breaking breaking news. That was uh, that was. I'll give you like a five on your air horn there. Yeah, but, I'll practice on it. But we're, <laughs> this is what we do on the podcast. We break news. So we, lots of breaking there you news. go. I think even the game is. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, sources confirm uh, six o'clock or seven o'clock. I don't seven know, one of them. <laughs> sources say Arizona State. Um, so it, it, anyway, uh, you're also going to come down this weekend and uh, make the trek out. So uh, you excited to get uh, get back out to the OLBK? I am. It's an unofficial visit. I'll be bringing my family with me, uh, minus my kids. So that'll be cool and get to see some old friends. And uh, I got a, a press credential. Going to take some pictures with the old camera and, and share them with the team. Um, I'll have to get you to. I think I've figured it out, but it looks like you've successfully created some of those photo galleries. So yeah, I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to do two different galleries. One of the uh, SPC, you know, whatever I can get from that, and then obviously all the shots that I can get. Uh, on the field from game day so definitely pumped about that um and and interested to see kind of the the goings on around the stadium there because it it looked great on uh it looked great on the photos you've taken it looked great on you know the thread that we've got going and and plus on tv i mean that thing looked pretty cool so i guess uh, maybe you already know this but the more i read about it is it are the the updates coming or some lights flashing or uh, raider power i mean what's what's all that about um so I think that they they tried to get basically the entire south end of it, which is the end that faces the stadium, uh, done for Eastern Washington, which they didn't quite get there. So I know that they're trying to make sure that they have most of the exterior done by this weekend, which I think they're getting pretty close to being done. Um, looks like as far as official like ribbon cutting when they're going to be done for sure, I think they're they're hoping for – kind of the Iowa State weekend, which is October 21st, to be like the official, all right, we're done, here it is, sure. uh, weekend. But I think, what, and I don't know if it'll be this weekend, but if they get it done, and I think it'll look really cool, uh, they're putting LED lights in those uh, big window panes in the south end zone that, that I think are red, and it, I've seen some, some pictures of it. It looks pretty cool, um, and I think it would look really cool at night if they get to do it. Uh, this weekend and for you Matt it'll be your first time really seeing it in person and I just I'll just kind of tell you that you can't really put it in a picture how big it is until you're there in person I think particularly standing right outside of it and then even inside the stadium it is just like a looming massive like object uh, out there and I, I think it's something that really excites you but I think too 
whenever you look at what the south or yeah, what the south end zone building is right now, I think it and and even when I talked to you know Kirby Hocutt here about a month ago about you know facilities, you know he told me that it kind of looms so large over the south end zone that it you kind of makes you want to accelerate and get some things done with with that part of the stadium too. So. So yeah, excited for you to get down here and get to see everything, but uh, sounds like they're getting pretty close to being done with the SPC. And speaking of, I'm uh, going to have a bunch of guys in this weekend that will get to see the SPC for the very first time themselves, and, and what I mean by that is having a solid number of visitors, I think, for the Arizona State game this weekend, both commits and targets. So uh, Matt and I, first, the first thing we wanted to do was kind of run that down with you guys and just kind of give our thoughts on uh, who's coming into town and we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, so I would guess we get some more names added to this list. Know that uh, your your uh, linebacker commit, DN commit, Stephen Parker, is a guy that I think is trying to make it out this weekend, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. That's still kind of up in the air. Uh, same with Z- Xavier Benson, who's one of your 2018 commits. But I uh, think so you're going to have a pretty good mix, Matt, looks like, of uh, commits and targets in town this weekend. Well, I will guarantee that we will add more names because we've added more uh, morning, uh, day, and night ever since I posted this on Sunday. So it's a it's always an ever evolving thing. Most of our subs know that, um, but really, I mean, it's game two, and I know it's an out of conference matchup that everybody's looking forward to. But you know, even getting in touch with a lot of the commitments on a weekly basis, it really depends on their high school schedule. And the only official visit this weekend is going to be Alan Bowman, your quarterback commitment at a grapevine, and that's because he's an early enrollee. So, you know, he's got to use his official visit at some time. Um, so he's going to do that this weekend. I they think even he has play a, fr- for- a free weekend maybe this weekend, if I remember well, right. Well, I, I double-checked that. They, they actually play okay. uh, They actually play Friday. So I guess he'll be flying in Saturday morning. I mean, it's a night game. Um, I mean, with, with Bowman, I mean, he's committed. He's graduating early. I don't I don't think he was looking to sit in the hotel room with a robe and eat pizza, right. um, you know, like most him. officials, right? So. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I think a lot of that stuff's maybe coming later in the season. And if we allow ourselves to maybe peek ahead, I know at least a handful of commits told me that they're coming in a few weeks for the Oklahoma state game. And you fast forward even to late October, you've got Iowa state. And then in early November, you have Kansas state, um, and TCU late in the season. So it really depends on, on every prospect schedule and whether it's official or unofficial. And I think the interesting thing is, uh, as you look at the list, there's, you know, a lot of its commitments. I get it. Um, but but as the week goes on, hopefully we'll add some more targets. But I think the, the exciting thing is you've got both 2018 and 2019 guys. And even a few local prospects uh, coming in for the whole, you know, visit experience this weekend. So, you know, Bowman's the official. The, the rest of them are unofficial visits, meaning that, you know, they're just coming out here with their folks on their own dime. But you've got a few offensive linemen with Clayton Franks and Troy Bradshaw. Uh, interesting thing from Bradshaw is if everyone remembers his his father actually went to Texas Tech and so right. he's you know he's been to tons of games but he was really excited because he's one of these guys who gets to see the SPC in the locker room for the first time so all of those are going to be new things to him so anyway I mean just uh, you know few few notes on on him but other than that you know you've got Galvan and then Cantrell obviously who's who's been here before but a lot of these guys are going to be experiencing that for the first time I, I think really the the thing of note right now is uh the defensive end out of Katie here in the Houston area I think and I might butcher this but I think it's Otito Ogbonia if I say that correctly uh but but he's Tito, a pretty big o- Otito Ogbonia whatever it's where we're, we're in the, I think we're in the ballpark at least Sure. So we have him listed as a strong side defensive end, uh, high three star, six 
for 285. The other offers he lists are Ole Miss and SMU with a handful of schools interested uh, at this point. I, you know, that's a talented defensive line, and I really do want to go see him in person. I was slated to see him play against uh, Richmond Foster and current defensive end commitment uh, Cameron Valentine, but obviously the weather down here canceled that game. But I think the most interesting part is in talking with him, originally a lot of these offers came you know, on a track side, but also kind right. of mixed in with the college, uh, excuse me, football coaches. And he was a state finalist in shot put. Obviously, he's a big guy, athletic for his size. So it'd be interesting to see how that you know, the feedback from the visit goes, because basically what we've learned is, I mean, it's it's basically an official visit for track, but it's going to be kind of a combo. He gets to spend time with the football coaches and he gets to do really everything that a normal football visitor gets to do, except they're not paying for his hotel room, if that makes sense. So uh, maybe the track. He'll have a little bit more to do as far as his official, I would guess, on like Saturday during the day as far as with track and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, and, and again, when we talk about SBC, you know, I don't know how much of the track side is complete. Really, uh, I mean, even as a, even as a guy there in Lubbock, maybe you don't either. But it's, it's, um, I think it's still a ways. Yeah, yeah, but but maybe get some preview of that, spend some time with that team, understand that. But the same thing goes. You're still going to the Marsha Sharp Center to learn about academic support. You're still touring campus. You're still doing a lot of these things. So hopefully, he'll be able to continue that bond with the football coaches as well. And and again, like I said, I mean, that's one that I'm interested in because you do have a good looking. Uh, class of defensive linemen committed uh but again we talk about getting players from these talent rich programs and katie taylor's quickly becoming one of those here in the houston area because katie can't have all of the good kids right? right um it's it's a really growing area out there and so um on top of that he has uh two siblings that attend tech so it really wouldn't surprise me for a visit to go really well and for him, him to feel comfortable and and maybe pull the trigger but I'm not making that call necessarily only because of the track element here. And just because I think he's a kid that honestly just doesn't feel a sense of urgency to necessarily make a decision. I mean, he might wait it out and take some more visits. So uh, we'll talk to him on Sunday and get some feedback. The only other, you know, real unofficial visitor that doesn't have an offer right now is Peyton Powell. And I posted a story about him today. He's a 2019 quarterback. Now, you know, I, I linked the story in the beginning of that. Uh, particular update that that stated that that tech offered the 2019 quarterback jacob zeno last week so you know keep in mind i'm sure he's a higher priority and and we don't know if Powell being pursued as a straight quarterback or an athlete but his numbers indicate that he is very much a dual threat quarterback with an emphasis on the rush uh so We'll see. Got to look at his tape. Got to get his feedback from the visit. But Coach Morris reached out to him directly. And obviously Midland, you know, that's that uh, that's that area in between, you know, Dallas and D- DFW, if you will, and, and West Texas. So if, if they're really talented kids, you want to identify them early and, and build a relationship because people like, you know, seeing those kids stay in the area. And, you know, of course, you don't want to miss out on them if they end up somewhere else. But point being, you know, he'll be on campus. And right now with these 2019 guys, you know, heck, at this point, they may not have a profile. That doesn't mean anything. They may not have offers. That doesn't mean anything, you know, because they just started their junior season. So, you know, coaches get on the road, the season ends, camp season starts, all that. I mean, this is a kid we talk about now with, you know, interest from three programs based on what he's telling me, including tech. And then when six months later, he could have, you know, three to 20 offers, depending on, you know, how good the yep. kid is. So there's a lot of a lot of recruiting left for that 2019 class. But, you know, right now, those are the two targets that are going to be in town. Like you said, we're going to add to that. Uh, but most importantly, 
you know, you get your quarterback together with a couple of the receivers, you get him together with the offensive linemen. So right off the bat, you know, you're going to build some chemistry there. And a lot of these kids outside of Bradshaw, this is going to be their first time watching a tech game live um, and, and doing that inside of the Jones. So that the tradition of even a Raider power, or like we talked about off the top, if they display these led lights at nighttime, right? I mean, all that'll be brand new, all that'll be eye catching. So those are things that I'm looking forward to, to seeing and, and things that I'm looking to follow up with some of these guys, but yeah, no doubt there's going to be more names added to this and it's, it's week two. So I wouldn't, right. you know, a lot of, a lot of posters re- respond with, Hey, you know, is this it? Oh, I thought there'd be more people. Well, I mean, let's remember guys, you know, Arizona state, even if they were two and oh and looking great, I mean, it's not, a marquee out of conference matchup. Let's face it. I mean, and and maybe some other guy behind a microphone for Arizona State saying the same thing about Tech. I don't really care, but I'm just stating it's not Oklahoma, Ohio State. It's not like Tech, Oklahoma State, where kids would be like, "Yeah, I want to, I don't, I want to be at that one for sure." You know, so I don't want to, I don't want to like downplay it, but I also don't want to oversell it either in terms of, oh yes, this is concerning that there's not more targets in town. You have 20 commitments, so I mean. You're not really bringing in ten uncommitted guys or this, that, and the other. So, so we'll see. We'll we'll, we'll add to the list undoubtedly. And and my guess will ultimately be is for that Oklahoma State weekend, and then depending on both Tech and TCU, how you kind of shake things out. I would guess those are probably your two biggest visit weekends as far as when you try to bring in uh, the biggest crop of official, unofficial, e- either way, because those are really, I mean, your two marquee home games. Uh, on the schedule as far as what will move the meter and I think you'll get the most um, attendance for. I think I think the interesting thing too uh, when we were talking about Ogbania is you've already got one of those commits like him in uh, receiver Kashawn Carter who's a guy that I mean really you know he, he's a football commit and he's a track commit but I think your, your track staff's really kind of what closed the deal uh, on him and right. really helps you out. That's a good and point. I, and I wonder if this is the same situation where uh, Wes Kitley and his guys really kind of give you a boost here, uh, depending on you know how much that uh, for Otito you know is, does he really how much does is he weighing doing both track and football you know what's what's just kind of his thought process because I think for Carter he's a track guy first and foremost if you're being honest. Yeah, well, I mean, true. I just think that people. I mean, I don't even think I think I wrote last time. I'm just saying off the top of my head, so I don't want to. I got to think about it, but I mean, I want to say he's still 16 years old. So in terms of potential ceiling time, even playing receiver, I mean, the guy's breaking records, um, you know, his, his junior year that were, that were set by Danny Amendola and, you know, they've got a really talented team. So I don't even think he's scratched the surface of his potential. Uh, but yes, right now, I mean, he's a national elite track athlete. I mean, he's one of these guys running at the national meet, you know, placing uh, as a finalist in state. And I, I don't, I don't know enough about track from a running perspective or event perspective to even try to talk about shot put. And, but all I know is if we're kind of mentioning this because of Ogbonia, uh, then, you know, he's a, a state finalist as well. So I don't know how much he gets into that or really how track recruiting works, but all the good things that helped you land Carter could do the same for Ogbonia. So at that level, I would say absolutely yes. And I just think to me, you know, everybody, it's kind of been a topic today, even when we mentioned uh, Hypolite, and, and I know we're doing this on Tuesday afternoon, but you know, when we were talking about Hassan Hypolite and how he's going to take a, an official visit to Eastern Washington this weekend, or I'm sorry, Eastern Washington, Eastern Carolina, 
uh, East Carolina. I can talk, I promise. Um, and, and people are kind of scratching their head or questioning that. I mean, you just want to get these high school proje- uh, prospects, and especially a guy like him that's six four two eighty five already, maybe even bigger than that. That you know, is clearly strong and athletic. I mean, I think you can get in and you can coach that guy. I mean, you've written about Jameson's past, and you've written about the caliber of athlete that he worked with at right. FAU. I mean, give him a guy like Ogbenia in a couple years and and see what he can make of it. You know, I know it's it's early returns, but that's kind of his forte. He's the, a fundamentalist. He you know focuses on you know the position and uh, staying disciplined, yeah. and, and really that's why he probably was hired by Gibbs is because that's what Gibbs is looking for or what looking for you know in his d-line coach so i, mean, I don't know I, I think it all comes together but to me he's absolutely a take and the, the whole track thing is just icing on the cake yeah absolutely and uh I, again i think the best thing there is is you have essentially two different you know coaching staffs recruiting him and you know whenever it's dead period for one it might be an open period for another you, you know if you can't you know go see him with one staff you can go see him with another staff if you can't talk to him with one staff the other staff staff can so I think you know that, that Coach Kingsbury and Coach Kitley have done a really good job uh, over the last you know four or five years of really trying to coordinate with each other and in unison trying to get some of these kids in town uh, because you know if, even if things didn't work out uh, on the football field you still you know picked up a couple kids you know when you think about Corey Dauphine or uh, and there I mean there's been several kids like that in the past past four or five years. Yeah, you know, when you uh, you mentioned Dolphine, and I mean, yeah, I know it fits the bill, but if you go back to Dolphine and Bethel, a lot of those guys flamed out. Now, I don't know, but, um, you know, there's there's proven uh, background that it, that it you know, it has success. And at the very end of the day, even if they help the track team, I mean, it's still a win for Tech. I mean, I think when we talk about Carter, it's receivers. So I don't think people right. will say, oh, gosh, will we have enough receivers? I don't think anyone ever says that. But especially when we're talking about defensive ends, they're 6'4", 285, and can move around a little bit. I mean, hey, take those guys all day, coach them up, you know, let them, let them do this thing with the shot put. And if it works out with football, then, uh, then hey, it's a win-win. Yeah, and, and and even if you know, as a guy that is already six four two eighty five, and the way it seems like that, uh, Jamison and Gibbs have recruited, you know, the, these defensive line kids that are listed as defensive ends or defensive tackles, I think they'll play them at either spot. You know, whether that's a strong side defensive end or uh, a tr- you know a three tech defensive tackle, and just kind of flip flop them based off of whenever they get here. You just you just kind of figure out which spot fits them best. So, uh, yeah, I think with Agabania, however we're gonna. Decide his name is uh, pronounced. I've butchered so, it about seven different seven different ways already. Um, but I, I think with him, he's just look like you said. He's an athlete that you bring in and you say, if you feel good about you know the age you have there, which we're seeing now with Nelson and Banasor, who's a guy that I think we all thought was going to play, and he's I think one hundred percent going to redshirt at this point. So at I this think, point, at this point, which is at this point. Um, so if that works out, I think you hope you can do the same thing with guys like Agbania, you know, where they're just athletes and you bring them in and develop them a little bit and uh, go from there. So uh, we'll see what happens. But the other interesting thing, too, about this visit weekend, it's really the first football visit weekend you've had where you have a new locker room, you redid the weight room, and uh, the SPC, as far as the football part of it goes, is completed. So a lot of these kids who have never visited before don't, really have a frame of reference for what it was in the past so that's that's the thing that intrigues me is what are those kids and what's their impression of what you've got because they never saw it before you had all that stuff if that makes sense no it absolutely does i mean 
in this instance, that's you know that's why I mentioned Bradshaw because he hasn't seen the new locker rooms, the weight rooms, or the SPC. That's a kid that's been coming to Tech games since he was a little kid. So I mean, completely new experience for him. He was probably going to come to Tech anyway. But just on the whole, you got guys like Xavier Benson if he's able to make it. You know, especially Ogbenia, even though he's been for an unofficial before. I mean, all this stuff is going to be new to them. So it either elevates Tech in their mind, or like you said, maybe some of these 2019 guys who really don't have a frame of reference can you know sort of give us their commentary and their thoughts on on you know what these new additions are because at the end of the day i mean whether it's a coach or a support staff member or uh uh one of the i don't the rated recruiters the girls that you know host the, right. the recruits you know whether it's them showing it around or or giving the information i mean the bottom line is they're going to know it's new and so you know they're going to see that development and quite honestly i mean you got to think back to when you and i were in college i mean it was kind of a big deal when they finished the west side of the stadium. And then it was a big deal when they finished the east side. Now, right. you know, based on what you're saying, there's this larger-than-life thing there where most of the time people just saw the bubble, yeah. right? I mean, it was like an afterthought. And so I'm really excited to see that. I'll be really excited to see when they let us inside to, to maybe get some more pictures because even the short – like social media videos and some of the stuff that they put out on a daily, weekly basis from the Texas Tech uh, football account, right? And the Texas Tech video account on on social media, those show uh, some of the the design and some of the the homage, if you will, to former players that are that are inside there, and it just looks huge. And I mean, it looks really cool in there. So I'm sure seeing it on video, take you know, looking at your pictures versus standing next to it, it's going to be massively different. So I mean, if you know, we're looking forward to it. So it's definitely going to stand out to recruits, and they're going to get to see probably more detail than than we are for a while. Absolutely, are so excited to get uh, get a football weekend going and uh, get really your first batch of uh, recruits in because you really didn't. Do much of that for Eastern Washington, and uh, we'll be kind of your first batch. So, uh, any uh, any other thoughts from you uh, before we get out of here, Maddie? Uh, other than I don't like being called Maddie. No, it's fine. Uh, no, 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 I know you do. Um, no, I mean not really, man. I mean it's uh, the bye week sucks. There's a thought for you. I mean, you know, it's it. Yep. The the evening was cool because you got the channel surf and watch some good games. Um, but the only other thing I was going to ask you is just like a quick kind of around the Big Twelve. Okay. I mean, obviously, obviously Oklahoma uh, did their thing, but man, I mean, you look you look around the Big Twelve, and even though TCU's win against Arkansas looks good, kind of talking about the the media cycle earlier i mean it kind of seems like nobody remembered that uh very average tech team went into arkansas and beat them as well so i think we kind of early in the season we say oh you know beat an sec team on the road and we were probably saying the same things after tech beat arkansas we but were, if you watch yeah, yeah absolutely but if you watch that game man kenny hill is still not a good quarterback and arkansas just I mean, they had no playmakers. They had nothing going on. And even when Tech played them the first time, the story was their just massive offensive line. I don't even think they have that anymore. They don't. Um, no. it, it, just, it was a bad look for they them also, all around. They also don't have Hunter Henry, who's an NFL tight end at this point. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think that's really the same team that people remember. So, anyway, that's my pump the brakes on TCU. Um, outside of that, I mean, man, I, I think we have to talk about Baylor – uh, because, you know, obviously I cover the, the program from a recruiting standpoint here at Rivals, but just watching football as a college football fan, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, new coaching staff and everything happened. No. Well, hold on. Hold on a minute. You know, 
they they didn't have they don't have any sanctions. They had no major transfers. Now, yes, the the kids in the 2016 class that got to you know uh, reopen class their NLI. I mean, yeah, class yeah, got that, gutted a little bit, but. but I mean, obviously, you know. But I mean, all the whole thing about having one commit and then filling up the class, and then even our subs being like, "Oh man, they're recruiting so well." Well, look, the bottom line is, yeah, you know, there are some some pitfalls of the current situation. But in in my opinion, you know, the coach made all these decisions. The coach consciously recruited the grad transfer from Arizona. The he started him. You know, he he like you he noted has not yeah. yeah, and he has not really taken a direction on offense and gone with it. Now, you know, the only things I'll say in in defense of this is yes, the the situation in quotation marks, right? That's somewhat fair but then also they have some injuries but at the end of the day i mean i'm sorry we're talking about liberty and utsa i'll give a tip a hat uh, a hat tip to utsa just because i like frank wilson and his recruiting approach but man i mean as decimated as they are i'm telling you guys like it's not going to get so much worse if that's the way they play against that quality of team i don't even care if they get a healthy running back back i mean we're talking about guys outside of uh outside of uh, their their main guy who you know was really unproven and, and you look at the high rushing numbers they weren't a good team last year so he was probably just getting a bunch of touches and trash yep. time and whatever else so uh, you know this is a new season and right now based on these two first performances against liberty and utsa you look at that duke just ran up a bunch of points at home against a, a decent northwestern team they're having to go there this weekend and they're going to play a new quarterback the basically the true sophomore uh, former four-star Zach Smith, who, you know, maybe he's developed a little bit. Maybe they take a different direction thought, on offense. We'll see. I thought he was pretty up and down last year as a freshman. Yeah, what a true freshman, right? Most are. Uh, and, and I mean, maybe that changes a few things. But, I mean, at the end of the day, right, I mean, I, there's nothing outside of – really, when you – I say that uh, – they, they let those kids kind of go to a couple other schools. I mean, I could count on one hand how many kids left and went to another school. It's not like that class was gutted. I mean, those players were really talented, but you know, it, it, I don't think it changed the program, right? And they've added transfers. They added a big class, you know, this, that, and the other. So there's just, to me, no excuse to lose to teams like that. And I'm sure their fans are, are you know, upset about it. But anyway, that's that's kind of my high horse on that is that it's going to get worse. Like when they play a team like even like a Tech or a Kansas State or something like that in the Big they're Twelve, that, out of the building. Yeah. yeah, they're just they're going to get pounded because that defense has has limited depth and the starters they do have just really aren't that great um, outside of maybe a few positions. And then on the, especially on the offensive line, they're just they're rough. I mean, I would argue that their best offensive lineman to put this into perspective, their best offensive lineman is Mo Porter. Who decommitted from Tech? You know, I think he was a, a Tuberville well, guy that go, they missed at JUCO. He had to go JUCO because yeah. he couldn't get in. Yeah, yeah. So think about that, right? I mean, so anyway, I mean, I, I know, I, I do know long term that they'll try to get it right, but man, I mean, it it takes time. If I don't know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to play connect dots guy, but if that just gives you any frame of reference, you know, when you walk into a situation, whether it's the Baylor situation or really how Tech was left after Leach and Tuberville, I mean, you can't just it's like the old Tom Herman saying now, you can't just sprinkle the fairy dust on there. I mean, I, I think that whole story is funny too, but. I mean, you really can. Like, I mean, and now you're going into year five. I know it's taking Kingsbury a little while here. Um, but that's why, I mean, I think now that's why this year is kind of the show me year. And that's why we keep it pointing is. to death and we keep pointing to what tech has. But, oh, man, 
I'm sure we could rip on that for a while longer, but I think those are the main things from the, the Big 12 weekend. Nobody else has yeah. really played anybody, you know, noteworthy enough to say, hey, they're this or they're that. But, man, I, you know. My, my thoughts are, just Big 12 in general, um, Oklahoma looks really good, better than I thought they would be. Um, still don't know what I really think of really their skill players on offense. I think they're good, but I think that they've just done a real – I think that – you know that Riley and their offensive staff has just done an awesome job of game planning for Baker and just against everybody of the two teams they've played so far and I think they did an awesome job of scouting against Ohio State and that defense played a lot better than I thought it would um but I'm still curious too to see what Ohio State ultimately is because their offense has not impressed me uh didn't against Indiana and definitely didn't against Oklahoma so we'll see what their offense ultimately is um I, well, I think that's a good point when you like uh, when you consider like Lincoln Riley and game two, you know, that there's a lot of similarities, right? Like, you know, Cliff's known for offense and, you know, innovating and doing different things. You know, what does game two bring? Right. I mean, right. they had I noticed that indirect snap to the running back. I thought that was cool. I think it threw Ohio State off. I mean, they did a couple different things. Right. Um, against Ohio State. But, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I was just no, going to say like that would be interesting to see, you know, how much Kingsbury opens it up now that they've had some live action and had the bye week to maybe plan against what they've seen uh, from Arizona State on eight. Because here's something, too, that I don't think anybody realizes. I know it's only two games, but two games in, you want to know who's ranked dead last in pass defense in the country? Ohio State. So, I mean, yep. what is, I mean, what does that say about them being, you know, dead last in, in, in pass coverage? Ohio State. How, how how bad does it make ESPN look after two weeks? You had week one where uh, Galloway was predicting Baylor wins the Big 12, and that was laughable. That's going to be a screenshot forever. And then you've got the second week, there, like basically everybody on game day was calling Oklahoma pretenders. And then the even the first week to the second week, Herb Street was like, you know, of course he likes Ohio State, right? We all know that backstory. Um but he's saying he was saying I know what he was trying to say, but it, it came off the wrong way. I, th- I feel he was saying that Ohio State will not play more talented receivers than what they faced in Indiana Week One, and I think most people saw it as like a built-in excuse as to why they had a slow start and played poorly on defense. Right. But I mean, they got smoked. I mean, you look look. I know these guys at Arizona or excuse me, Oklahoma are talented, but really the the one true guy that was returning was Mark Andrews at tight end. He gets knocked out. You've got true freshmen and redshirt freshmen and transfers well, like, all over the field. I mean, the, their leading receiver is Jeff Bidet or Bidet. I don't know how you say it. Bidet, yeah. And I mean, who's that guy? I mean, he transferred from uh, from Kentucky. Right. Uh, D- Dimitri Flowers, one of your running backs, is right there, and then C.D. Lamb, who's a freshman, is your true other freshman. leading receiver. So it's not like they have just like this, like this, just like breadth of like awesome receivers. And they aren't don't really have that many running backs. Either. Well, they're true freshmen, and, and yeah. yeah, they're young guys. Trey, Trey Sermon, uh, Abdul Adams, uh, Rodney Anderson. Rodney Anderson, yeah, yeah. All these guys are like young, young guys. So it's not like they have like these like established like studs at their skill positions. Not that it hasn't been mentioned, but I, and it, obviously it's it's hard to forecast all the way to when they they play later in the season. But Oklahoma, I think, has the best offensive line in the country, I do and too. and. It, doesn't get glazed over, but it doesn't get talked about as much. And when you talk about like things that tech does not have, and that's a pass rush. And so if you just let Baker sit back there and and pick apart your defense, you know, he's matured so much more as we've all seen since he was a walk on at tech. And, 
I mean, I think that if you give him the time to do some of that and add on his creativity, it could be bad things for for tech. But I mean, we'll we'll kind of we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But that's what I was thinking is that if that defensive line can't cause pressure, then these guys. I mean, there's there's probably about two first round picks on that offensive line and another four draft picks. You know, another four guys that are definitely draft picks. I would say that offensive line at OU this year is similar to what Tech what A and M had in like 2012, 2013, If that makes yeah. sense, where you just have a bunch does, of guys. A and M does not have that anymore. Do I don't know if you caught their that. name. Yeah. <laughs> do not have that anymore um as far as Baylor goes the thing that just has stuck out to me is just like like I said is that and I I had heard from so you know I know some people that are high school coaches down in in southeast Texas um and just basically the thing that they told me that they had heard from Waco was that Zach Smith and particularly Zach Smith was having a real big problem learning the offense because Matt Rule didn't really commit to anything, and they're going to try to – they want to do all this, you know, under center, power run, pro style, but they also want to do all this, like, spread offense, all this kind of stuff, and it was just too much for – from my understanding, I think it's just been too much for a lot of those guys. And you can see it in the game where they're not really committed to anything, where I think you see it and they want to run this, like, pro style, like, defense – you know, favorable offense. But the thing is, you don't have that kind of those kind of players on defense to run that kind of offense. So one, you know, they're they're ranked like a 98th or 100th in like defense in general. And then two, on offense, you just don't, you know, you, you, I just don't think you can play that kind of offense in in the state of Texas right now, because I guarantee you, there will be some game at this point whenever they're playing like TCU or Texas or Tech or Oklahoma State, or somebody like that, where one of those schools is going to you know, get it firing on all cylinders, and they're going to pedal to the metal it on offense, and Matt Rule's going to you know, try to sit on it and be like, oh, we'll play defense, we'll do something, and they're going to get blown out by 45. No. So, no, there's no way, because I think what he's learning, I mean, we all heard that, right? But I don't think yeah. any of us wanted to be, like in the offseason, I don't think any of us, I don't know. It almost felt like piling on at that point because right. right when he was hired, it was like no Texas ties. Lynn quickly hires all these Texas high school coaches, and then they they quite honestly surprised a lot of people with that 2017 class and how it finished. And I just think the whole time everybody's been harping on, no, oh, they have NFL experience, they have NFL experience. But I mean, really, to your point, like it's really hard to have an identity after two games. To be fair to them, but you cannot like when just the commentary and just the the premise of oh, no, we're going to play, you know, we're going to come in here with old school, line them up, smash high formation, yeah. smash it, and we're going to bring defense this league hasn't seen. I mean, those are really bold statements when you think about it. And right now, I mean, we saw it so many times. I know it was Eastern Washington, but even if you're watching uh, watching some of these other games, I mean, Tech and some of these other offenses can score in one, two, three plays. And they're they will, scored, yeah. Right? And then your defense is back on the field. So you don't necessarily – have the opportunity to be the the steel curtain or anything like that, really, unless you're Alabama or Clemson and and you have all four five star guys, yeah, and yeah, and in and in their case, that's not going to be feasible until they really develop their their roster and have guys in their system. So to be fair to them, yeah, that's why they have a seven year contract and good on them for getting that deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't. I I still even if they you know develop the roster in the next couple of years and build their defense. 
I don't see it happening. I just don't. Like Here's, you look around the league at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, they're the cream of the crop right now. You put that defense, even the best day they could have this year, right? And you put that defense in front of those teams, they're going to get smoked, and then they're not going to run the ball to to a victory. They're just not. And, and and my thing too is is in six weeks once they have injuries, more injuries, like everyone does in college football. What's that roster going to look like? You know, by come come week seven or eight, when everybody is dealing with you know at least one or two starters uh, on the bench, I, I just don't know what that's going to look like for them. When it just seems like they don't have very many guys right now. Um, and on top of that, and I'll ask you this uh, as as kind of I'll ask you this as just kind of my closing thought on, on, on this is is if if Baylor starts out you know zero and eight, which I think if you look at the schedule and expect them to project like they've played so far, I think zero and eight is pretty expected um you know what does that do to them in recruiting you know moving forward if you just have come out of the gate just to a big you know stink turd well i don't know i kind of hesitated to answer that question but at the end i said it's really hard to say that right now because no even recruits didn't expect them to go zero and two but even like a lot of folks like to say this about tech's roster if you really dissect their commitment list outside of a few guys I mean, none of them really have a lot of like, you know, for example, I did, wrote a story on a guy today who even visited tech and never got an offer from from right. the Red Raiders is, is JT Woods, who's a safety. And I was just kind of like I do with any recruit recapping what offers he had outside of the service academies and uh, Ivy League. You know, he has an offer from Houston, but who knows if that's still really a viable offer, you know, given where they are with their recruiting class, if we looked it up, you know, and just in general, like, is he going to flip to Brown or is he going to flip to Army? Doubtful, you know, I mean, these kids really, I don't know, like, like it or not, they've come in and these coaches are selling the future. They're selling, hey, we're going to do what we can with the situation that we've been given and we're not going to make excuses and rah, 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 yada, yada, yada. So, I mean, it will be definitely interesting to follow. I think we'll see the normal attrition uh, that, that you would see in some of these situations where, you know, maybe their guys pick up a, an offer down the line or another program really kind of puts the pressure on them to say, hey, we want you, you know, in our class. We'll see. But I just I haven't seen any of that yet, and I haven't seen anybody uh, any any conversations with recruits that would make me feel otherwise. I mean, okay. their their class is very much like Tech's, where it's full class, but you have like let's call it the five guys that are kind of like high highly rated, highly Your recruited, staple guys. yeah. And then the rest of the guys are the guys they identified early, guys that committed to Baylor when Baylor was their top offer in the spring or the summer, and then that's that. They're still waiting on to see who right. else offers, right, or maybe right. they have another. D1 offer here or there. Nobody that's like a huge gem or a, you know, a highly rated guy. I mean, they have one four-star and a handful of 5.7s just like Texas Tech does. No, I hear you. So it will uh, it'll be intriguing just with – in the state of Texas, things are just kind of topsy-turvy right now uh, with the state of football, especially when you consider, I think, that you feel like if you've been watching things that really, I mean, Tech, TCU, and Houston are the three teams that you're like, hey, they're kind of playing all right right now. And everybody else is kind of just, you know, throwing up on themselves. So, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, Texas and Tom Herman are really recruiting at an elite level. And, look, nobody expected them to beat USC or to have, I mean, anyway, not nobody I really saw or trusted expected them to really blow it out this year. I think the most I saw was – eight wins by, you know, and I'm talking, I'm not talking the Chip Browns of the world who think they're going to college playoff every year, but just guys that I know and trust. 
eight wins is a ceiling that I saw. Now, did I believe they would win that? No. But, you know, of course, the start they had with Maryland and then it's just typical Texas. Oh, we play San Jose State, who's probably, a you know, all due respect, just not a good team. And all of a sudden we're going to be like, OK, well, hey. Um, we beat USC what, this weekend what, in the Coliseum. What, what happens next week? You know, and it's like, no, I'm sorry. Uh, USC stumbled out of the gates in week one, but they put it on Stanford. They, and, they hammered Stanford, and I like to an impressive fashion. And Stanford in the trenches, I would take them over Texas. Yep. And then running back-wise, they're just as talented. I don't know about quarterback-wise, but we know Texas isn't going to knock anybody's socks off at the quarterback position right now. Um, and I just think that's a tall task. They're Even if they put up a good fight, they're going to lose by two touchdowns at least. So um, it, it'll to me, the reason I say all that is be interested to see very much similar to how we talk about with Baylor, although they're not recruiting at an elite level. You know, we're talking about that top tier of recruits that they do have. Do they look elsewhere if other offers come in or as they reconsider uh, former, you know, interests or offers that they had uh, at the time of their commitment. And I would say, you know, you kind of multiply that a little bit when you look at or enhance that a little bit when you look at Texas, because they are recruiting guys that are like the top at their position in the country or top five. And, you know, they have a top five recruiting class right now. So they cannot have, I don't think, just a awful four and eight season and expect to hold on to some of those guys by just selling the future. I did. I don't believe that much I, I don't think they can sell the brand and that picture as much as a kid who has the opportunity to go to like a you know i don't know oklahoma or an ohio state or an alabama or you name the school that's that's winning right now right no i, I agree with that no you you can't do that um so yeah i i, I think it'll just be interesting to see how this how this ultimately plays out um i'm, I'm curious too to see with oklahoma if if and they've been recruiting, I think, really well since since you know Lincoln really took over the program. Um, I'll be curious to see too here in six weeks, and depending on what they do this season, uh, if they kind of take an uptick back in the right direction too, as far as recruiting goes. Because they have, I'm not wrong. OU always recruits well, but it just seems like to me until really recently they haven't really been just crushing it like they used to. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, well, that's another interesting situation where, you know, you got kind of have a coaching staff in limbo and then the product on the field doesn't really match, you know, probably what the coaches are selling or what their goals are. You know, that's another situation where, to be fair to them, they have a lot of injuries. And I mean, I don't know. I, I hate to say to be fair to coaches because I, I feel like the AM coaches put themselves in this situation. They had Kyler Murray, they had Kyler or Kyle Allen, who's now the starter at Houston. And we can argue that he's not a five star talent. But he's probably better than Starkel, who they had to start and got injured, and then the true freshman, Kellen Mond, who is just a true freshman. I mean, I don't know what anybody kind of expected. Which I'm, uh, I'm curious why he's starting instead of Hubenak. And I think that's kind of what everybody's wondering. Well, I, I so okay, so I covered him, and I will say this he's really good. I didn't agree anything with the, the broadcaster's comparison to Patrick Mahomes because I thought that was ridiculous from just a pure athleticism and arm standpoint uh, and really size standpoint, right? Different players, but, yeah. But, you know, allow us to go back to when Davis Webb slides in Stillwater and Mahomes has to come onto the field. I think there was one play, holding penalty, pushes him back. He takes a snap and he's trying to plant his bit, foot. Yeah. No, he's yeah, he's trying to plant his foot and throw it to the outside, feels pressure, steps back. I don't know, he's getting sacked and just kind of chunks his sidearm and it gets intercepted. 
I mean, that was like a circus play. And you look back at that and like, if that's your only impression of him, you know, early on in that season, you're like, oh, great, here we go again. And then look at what he turned out to be. I I think you got to just give some of these kids time. And I think that's the bad side of guys like a Jalen Hurts coming in and just making no mistakes. Last year you had Bouchelle coming in and and, really not looking bad either. So to to be fair to with Jalen Hurts too, let's be honest, he was not real great as a passer last year. He just didn't make a ton of mistakes, and they really just asked him to run because they have all these athletes around him where they can do that, and most schools don't have that. Well, and I was listening to another, I'm, uh, I'm listening to their podcast where I had Phil Savage on, and he's a longtime personnel guy, and I'm sure everybody knows who Phil Savage is, and he's close to the Alabama program, and he's saying the, the interesting thing there is that, you know, of all the talent they have and the talent that they could get, you know, when they find somebody like a Hurst that they can trust in terms of Saban and that coaching staff, they just build the offense around them versus saying, here's our playbook, this is what we do. And not every coaching staff does that. So I think that's why you see, you know, you know, early success and or failure at the football or at the quarterback position. I almost said the football position. The football um, position. Yeah, all of them, football guy. Um, but uh, but no, that, I mean, I think that's why you see that, and I think that's why you see so many transfers. I mean, it's we could probably go go on and on about that for a while, but I just think that it's so early to tell. And, and let's be honest, look, I mean, you've got to try to put yourself in their fans' shoes. Hubenak, while he might look better, he's just a JUCO transfer. So, I mean, if you started the season thinking, okay, fresh slate, coach has got to coach for his job – here we go. Big, big jump against UCLA. I mean, honestly, I put all this back on the coaches. If they would have never substituted quarterbacks in that first game, you know, believe in what you want. But old dude might not have gotten his ankle hurt, you know, uh, in that game because he was being yo-yoed in and out of the game for no good reason. You know, they they, may, they might have stuck to a more conservative game plan when they're up 34 points. I mean, ifs and uh, butts and candy nuts and all that but i mean i believe in that so you know the, yeah. the coaches have to be held responsible for that but really that offensive line is bad and they're being asked to block for different people and different schemes and to be quite frank i mean they just need to out athlete people like nickel state i mean they have recruited well and and when we talk about schools like a&m in texas whether you like it or not the logo sells they're, they're the big in-state programs they're always going to have a good recruiting class. I would say, honestly, with AM having that plus the SEC, I mean, I do the same breakdowns for those sites as I do, you know, for the tech recruiting class and ratings and stuff like that. I mean, they have basically their entire recruiting class, save one guy from a tiny town in East Texas who is probably a beast. We just haven't seen him yet. Um, and their punter commitment is a Texas 100 guy or is a 5.7 or higher rated prospect. So that kind of maybe gives a little perspective as to how they recruit. Now, what happens to that if they have a bad season? I'm not sure, but in talking with a lot of these guys, they just want to go to college and play at A&M. I don't really think they care. I mean, I've talked to a handful of recruits. I don't think they really care if someone's the coach or not, and yeah. and hopefully that speaks to the same thing. I mean, uh, hopefully a lot of these kids are committed to Texas Tech, and, and you know, we, we think the season's going to go a little bit better based on what we saw against Eastern Washington. But the truth is we don't know at this point in time it's going into this week. Yeah, 1-12 at this point. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I think that's the thing, though, with A&M and Texas is that they always – and it, it, if you if you just kind of read what some Texas and A&M fans think, you know, you, you'd think that they were, you know, a bottomless wasteland of talent, you know, on the roster when I'm like – 
y'all just like there's no frame of reference there for them to understand how much talent is on the roster. It's just I think what your staff has done with that talent, which is going back to you know what I think Urban Meyer and some of these guys have jumped on Tom Herman about, um, where. I, I do think that, you know, Tom Herman, you know, the stupid, you know, well, I can't sprinkle fairy dust on it kind of comment. It's like, dude, you have a bunch of talent on your offensive line. You've got a bunch of talent in your secondary, linebacker on your defense. Like, it, there's no reason why you should ever give up 51 to freaking Maryland yeah. in a football game. Well, and I think it's so funny to me because if you think of that narrative, right, like that is a message board post. If you think yeah. of it and now it's being used like if I don't know if you even caught this, but if you didn't, you should go back and read it. Even Pat Forty wrote an article of how the, the widely used spread in Texas high school football affects the defense that's played on the next level. And I thought like, no, 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 no. Take that off the Internet. Like I, that is an excuse. That's a message board topic that you've created into a national story. I, you know. There was nothing in that article that was all opinion based. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I just I, I call I call uh, BS on that, and I hope that I, I guess where I'm going at with that is that you look at recruiting, and it's so easy to say, oh man, you know, A&M's got this defensive end who's top fifty in the nation, and blah blah. Well, yeah, those guys are probably really good. You know, they're rated top fifty in the nation for a reason. But then when we get into the safety, who's like a five point six three star, or we get into the receiver, who's a three star, and you know, five 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 six five seven, this that and the other. I mean, there's such a little, there's such little difference between one guy or another that uh, you can't really one and insert two. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's how I feel. I mean, you look at uh, the beginning of this recruiting class, for example. You know, you had the two kids that eventually decommitted, and now they're with OU. Well, that's fine, but the fact of the matter is OU went and offered other highly rated guys before they offered those guys and struck out. So then they offered those guys, and they flipped, and that's great. But then if you look at basically they, re- they replaced one guy, excuse me, with Fulcher, who's just blowing up this season, and then they replaced the other guy with Carter, who we just talked about at length earlier speed in the podcast, demon, yeah. that is another speed demon. So I just don't think that you replace them with those guys and you think, oh, well, shucks, you know, oh, you got us again. I just don't think that you're looking at, like, the next, uh, you know, D.D. Westbrook or something with some of these guys, you know, so much more than the potential that you have with the guys you replaced them with. So there's such a fine line between some of that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, just looking at you got to find that article because, I mean, just seeing some of that stuff, I know maybe it's early season. There's not a lot of topics to write about, but that just infuriated me. Like, you know, there's there's coaching and then there's talent. And then there's excuses, and that absolutely falls in the excuse bucket. You know what my my theory is, too? And I haven't looked it up exactly, but my theory is I think a lot of, honestly, a lot of your top defensive talent in the state is going out of conference and going to, you know, really, you know, schools like Alabama or Auburn or Ole Miss or LSU or Ohio State or Michigan or or UCLA, you know, I think that's one of your big problems right now is I think that because of that perception that, to be honest, I think has been really, I think, media-driven, I think a lot of these kids that are, you know, elite defenders are like, hey, man, I'm just going to go play somewhere in some other conference. Well, you, you could, anybody listening to this could look it up right now. The top three defenders or defensive prospects in the state last year went to Florida State, Ohio State, and Ohio State. Right. I mean, that is what it is. Now, I think that brings this conversation full circle. Those guys this year are committed to Texas and A&M. 
So if you have Texas that unless those coaches do a, just a great job of building relationships and keeping those guys committed or, you know, letting them know that they can play next year, whatever the case may be, they're going to land some really good guys. But if they don't hold on to those top guys, then that becomes a story. And especially if the A&M job reopens, I mean, yeah, you're going to have some kids that just stick with A&M because they just like A&M, but there's definitely going to be some, some kids looking around and, and, uh, you know, right. keeping an eye out on their options. But all that to say, it, it, when I bring up the you know guys like a Fulcher and a Carter, I mean, these are guys who, you know, were not maybe top on your board, but you look at how it shakes out. Every program and every prospect is unique and different in their own way. You know, whether a new coach has a fast start or a really horrible start or if a recruit starts out with 20 offers versus two, I mean, it really doesn't matter till that senior season or until, like we talked about, game days where you right. see the results and you see the progress. And I truly believe that. You look at a Fulcher, I mean, he might not have knocked off anybody's socks, but he's got Kansas State, Oklahoma State knocking on his door, and he's putting up four touchdowns, three touchdowns, you know, gobs of yardage. So, um, I mean, these guys know how to evaluate. I think they just need to turn things around on the on Saturdays and and add some more wins so that they can continue the just the continuity and in, in the building of the roster, if you will. But I, I think they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, and I mean, look look at what you've done. I think defensively with some of the guys you've, you've recruited. Whenever uh, you, you know you look back the last couple of years, I think you look at you know Jordan Brooks. I mean, he was a guy that I mean, you were his major offer, and nobody else really decided to knocked down at the door at the end. You know, A&M and Arkansas were interested, but they never decided to pull the trigger. And sure. I think because you, you got in early on him and figured things out, you know, you, you get what I would argue is one of the best three or four linebackers in the Big 12 right now and, and has potential to maybe be the best linebacker in the Big 12 here in a couple of years. I think the same thing with, with a guy like Broderick Washington as, at defensive tackle, who I think, as far as DT goes, is since you had a guy like Kerry Hyder, I think he's probably your best DT you've had. So... I just think they've done a really good job of evaling guys and, and figuring out, um, you know, just, just identifying their guys early as, as, as we've kind of seen. So um, I, I think just kind of my final thought on this and it's just the, the state of Texas and uh, just this region, the Big 12 region overall, I think for perception to change and for you to start keeping kids in state and for really for this, you know, for the Big 12 to really kind of take a big step back in the right direction, I think it starts really with Texas and Oklahoma both being really, really good. And I think when they're both really good, it benefits everybody else in the conference, and I think everybody else in the conference recruits well because all these kids say, you know what, we'll stay home and we'll play, you know, in the Big 12 and we'll play for, uh, you know, we'll play for Texas and, and OU and Oklahoma State and Tech and TCU and uh, we'll you know we'll we'll just kind of hang around instead of saying y'all are playing crappy defense and because that's what everybody's telling us, so we're gonna go play in the SEC or we're gonna go play in the Big Ten or we're gonna play in the ACC. You know, it is what it is. I I agree, and I guess more to that point, you know, to a lesser degree, it's easy to point out the top guys that go to an Oklahoma or excuse me, an Ohio State or a, a Florida State or a, a Alabama. But even if you just look at Todd Graham in Arizona State, not only did they beat you out a couple of years for a guy like Joe Wicker, but at least four to five kids per year, four to five really good kids signed with Arizona State. So you're going to see some kids sprinkled in on, on both offense and defense that from are from Texas. And, you know, they're guys that either Tech was recruiting. I mean, I can think of linebackers. Christian I can think Sam. of running backs. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, Benjamin, Ryan Newsom, all of the guys. 
Yeah, and and you know Benjamin's a kid that uh, is supposedly you know getting on the field early. Now I know Arizona State hasn't had a lot of success. I'm not speaking to that end, but you know as you watch the game, you're probably going to see kids that that you probably recognize a few names here after the past couple of years, just because they do you know recruit the state a little bit. And even their current commitment class, I'm looking at three or four kids from Texas right now. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, maybe uh, I, I don't know how. Which is our, what I mean by that is, you know, when they beat a team like this or, you know, let's say last year when they beat Arkansas, you know, are they are they sending a DM to a certain kid or, you know, are they saying, hey, did you see that game or whatever, right? I mean, I don't know if they even want some of these kids, but point being is, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're touting some of that. Hopefully they're staying in kids' ears and obviously they do. I mean, you look, look back last year to Ambanasaur, he flipped from Oklahoma State and some of these guys that they've had in, in the spring that maybe committed elsewhere and some of these other scenarios play out like we've talked about, whether it be a Baylor or another program uh, and, and maybe, you know, things change with uh, with that recruit in Texas Tech. So so we'll see, but but definitely be uh, be on the lookout for a few of those Texas guys, you know, yeah. as you watch the game on, on Saturday night. But, you know, I, I know we got back to, to rumbling a little round and round, but it's it's kind of that That's slow fine. time of uh, of recruiting where they're uh, they've made a few new 2019 offers. But really, you've kind of you got what you got on the 2018 class and whether Ogbenia decides to make a commitment this weekend or in the short term, uh, you know, we'll find out here pretty soon. But outside of that, I mean, we need to add some names to that visitor list and, and see maybe who else is coming to Lubbock this weekend. Yep, we will get it figured out. And uh, excited to have you in town, my man, and uh, ready for this weekend to get going. So, no, we rambled a little bit there, guys, but uh, wanted to give you guys a good podcast this week. So, once again, this is the Victory Bells pot, or Victory Bells Recruit Cast. Excuse me, I'm Will McKay. He's Matt Clare. Thanks so much for listening, guys. See ya.